Welcome to Technology Labs podcast number 23. I'm Tom. I'm Rick. And I'm Daniel. And our guest today is Deepa Mantani. Welcome, Deepa. Hey, guys. Hi there. Welcome. Hey. Yes. Welcome in, uh, in, in the Technology Labs podcast. And maybe it's good for our audience that you introduce yourself a little bit. Yes, sure. My name is Deepa. I work for SojDML. I'm the lead for the AI Center of Excellence and I'm also the AI SME. Great, great. Well, and indeed, we are going to talk about, well, your predictions basically for AI in the coming year or uh, in the future. So uh, that will be the topic of today. Um, before we dive into that, uh, we have a couple of tech items that we want to bring to the table. Uh, Daniel, can you start off uh, with your tech update for today? Yes, I have a very, very fun one. Um, I got an article from The Verge uh, about Baby Shark. And everybody probably knows Baby, Baby Shark. Shark. What's <laughs> Baby Shark? How long is Where? in your head? <laughs> <laughs> now the song is in your head, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah Actually, yeah. the funny thing is that the subtitle in the, in the article in The Verge was, I'm sorry if it's stuck in your head now. <laughs> so, it's funny, but Baby probably. Shark is the... Yeah, you have to Sorry. explain because in, in in this case we see a little generation. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I have <laughs> no idea what this is about. <laughs> okay, so Baby Shark is the first YouTube video to surpass 10 billion views. So that's a lot of views. But yeah. Baby Shark is, uh, if you don't know it, <laughs> for the older people around here, <laughs> um, Baby Shark is like a, a children's video. And uh, a lot of children watch it. And of course, a lot of parents always give the iPads to the kids to <laughs> stay quiet and just watch videos. <laughs> and they watch uh, Baby Shark a lot. And it's, um, yeah, it's a song that doesn't really, um, uh, when you hear it, <laughs> it keeps in your head all the time. And um, yeah, it's interesting to see that that YouTube video is actually the first one to surpass 10 billion views. And for me, it was really interesting because I wanted to know which other videos were also uh, scoring really high. And there is a, a Wikipedia uh, list, of course, <laughs> with all the most viewed uh, YouTube videos. And yeah, there's like a bunch of music videos in there, etc. And the one that I was missing, and that's actually, uh, everybody knows the meme probably from uh, internet fora, etc., where you would just hide a link and then uh, when you click it, then you would open up a YouTube video with uh, yes. <laughs> Rick, Rick yeah, actually yeah, Rick never, gonna give, never gonna give you up. <laughs> the, <laughs> Rick roll. the Rick roll. Everybody knows that. But I was really surprised that that video wasn't in the most Ooh. watched videos. <laughs> People don't get Rick rolled anymore. No, it's like, well, yeah. well, it's so crazy. But I, I was expecting that to be really high in the top 30, but it's not even in the top 30. What a pity. Maybe so. we can um, uh, let our listeners uh, uh, hear a little bit of the Baby Shark. I will uh, add it to oh, the... Oh, yeah, uh, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, people. <laughs> cool. But, but it was really interesting to see as well that in the top 30, there's a lot of kids songs. Um, because, uh, of course, <laughs> all the parents give the iPads to the kids and they uh, just watch uh, stuff. Uh, there's a bunch of things in there. And, uh, of course, uh, Gangnam Style is in there and uh, a lot of others as well. Cool. Cool tech item, uh, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Well, yeah. not really tech, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> fun fact. Fun it fact. was fun. It was a fun fact. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Rick, what, what's your? Uh, in, in, yeah, you can rig roll us uh, right now. So. Yeah. Go well, ahead. actually, I see a little bridge from Daniel's uh, item to mine because mine is also about parents and keeping children quiet. Oh, nice. But it is about virtual reality, eh? because children are now starting to use virtual reality glasses to play games or do other things. And there's a problem for the parents, because if you give your child the iPad, like Daniel just said, or they watch television or are on their computer, then as a parent, you can still see what they are seeing. So you can, uh, monitor them somewhat but if you uh, if they are on VR they just have the headset on and you don't know what they're watching so parents are now getting concerned and then I found this article that also gives you some uh, solutions for that so one solution obviously is that you connect also a ordinary screen like a television so you can see what a child is seeing and also the first of these VR uh, game uh, companies are now building in some parental guidance things like you can set a time limit or you can block certain games. Um, so yeah, every, every new technology brings new challenges for parents because children often adopt the new te technology faster than their parents. True. And then parents have to think about, okay, what do we do now? It's the yeah. ongoing race of, of even uh, the, the uh, if you look at the cyber criminality also, uh, the, the criminals are always ahead of the, of the police basically. And in this case, uh, yeah. yeah, the same thing uh, goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, it it's very interesting to see what very nice possibilities there are because uh, also they start using VR glasses now, for example, in hospitals to distract children that get a treatment because mm -hmm. normally p children are very anxious in a hospital, yeah. Yeah. but now they get these VR glasses and they are in their total virtual world and they forget that they're in a hospital and that they're actually being treated. Oh, yeah. So, True. Yeah. I actually read an article about a farmer in Turkey using VR glasses for his cows. For his cows? Um, yeah, to, <laughs> to up the milk production. So uh, it's actually really sad when you think about it because the cows are seeing green pastures so they think that they're outside. <laughs> Oh, um, but they're still inside. I'm like, why don't you just put them outside? Yeah. <laughs> <Let> them <laughs> oh, you have to adapt your, your Google glasses because the eyes of cows is, is a lot yeah. differently so positioned. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. How does that look like? Two for each cow. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the, the, the distraction for hospitals, that's a good point because now you... The vaccination will start for children as well eh? now, uh, shortly, mm -hmm. uh, at least in the Netherlands. And um, I can imagine that, well, kids are not too fond of getting a, a jab or a needle in their in your arm. So yeah, but it, it's good that, that yeah, these vaccination yeah, locations maybe, yeah. need to think about distracting the kids as well or, yeah, uh, se setting something in... Uh, uh, as a as a teaser, uh, that if you get the the shots, well, then you can uh, play a, a ten minute game in the VR uh, on a, on a VR glass or some uh, VR glass or yeah. something like that. Yeah, they can keep uh, the VR glass on uh, until the end of the fifteen minute yeah. waiting time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
You would need and quite a lot of they... classes, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you need uh, <laughs> like a hundred or so on every location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but maybe one or another of these gaming companies wants to, to sponsor that. Yeah. I guess it's it's a huge opportunity to get children addicted to the games. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that would I'm be. already thinking about uh, battery life, etc. those kinds of problems, but... <laughs> yeah. small problems yeah. daniel small problems yeah small daniel. problems yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's cool. never going to be a problem of course <laughs> no 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 of course not of course not come in now no why did you think such a thing um maybe it's good that uh well it, this is the, the the best bridge ever in in the history i think of our podcast series because all the items relate to each other and uh oh. my tech update is about the Oculus Quest. Aha! Yeah, and uh, actually, uh, it is the news article I read on the blog of homeassistant.io, and it's about the Oculus Quest meets smart homes. And I'm um, constantly busy tinkering with with my home and and uh, all kinds of smart bulbs and. Uh, sensors and and stuff like that, and uh, coupling it to uh, a, a try out, a try out the different um, hubs to control everything. And now I was busy with setting up the Home Assistant uh, on a Raspberry Pi and uh, putting everything in there. And there was this great article on the HomeAssistant.io website, which is a blog series, and it mentioned the Oculus Quest meeting the smart home uh, world, basically. Uh, you can get it on SideQuest, uh, which puts uh, the apps, uh, Android apps, in the um, uh, in the Oculus uh, world, and you can uh, have your uh, all your data and all your uh, smart home uh, controls now in the Oculus Quest, and um, yeah, control it or at least uh, look look oh, around nice. in uh, uh, what kind of data you have in your homes, and uh, it's there. It so like there's. Digital twin for your house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That would be the next step. Step, uh, I, I would say, because it's kind of a minimal version. It's kind of 2D in the 3D world, so you can see ah. screens in your 3D world. But the next step would be uh, indeed, yeah, yeah, definitely true, uh, Deepa. The 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 digital twin of your home, uh, and uh, that you would, yeah, see. I don't know, uh, a window being open, and that you could go mm -hmm. to that window and. See well, outside. It could be interesting. It could be interesting already in the 2D version because a lot of people, when they have a VR glasses on, they mm -hmm. look at some game or some experience in VR, mm -hmm. and then uh, whenever they want to go back to uh, the real world, mm -hmm. then they have to take off their glasses, and that's always a process that you need to do, and yeah. uh, you need to turn it off or whatever. It's really nice to have such an app to maybe look at your cameras that you have in your house or something oh, like yeah. that if you want to check up on something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you don't have to leave that experience anymore you can just open up that app and go there yeah and sure. then you don't have to take off your glasses etc yeah mm. yeah because now oh, that uh, would be good as well you could yeah, but the cool thing i just I just thought of a great <laughs> situation now, Daniel, which you mentioned nice. this. And, uh, if I integ I'm integrating my Ring doorbell, so the mm -hmm. doorbell with the camera uh, in, in my home assistant uh, environment. And so you can directly, if you're in your game and the postman rings because of a package, and that happens a lot in these times, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, you can see and talk with, with the 
with the guy or girl uh, outside mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, while you're in game and uh, yeah, put the package somewhere that you will pick it up later uh, from yeah. outside or from the side of your house or whatever and continue in your game. So you are not taken out of your great experience and uh, you can just go straight on with what you were doing in exactly. your Oculus environment. Oh, That's um, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. No more distractions with doorbells from meetings <laughs> and meeting. <laughs> We, we can do no meetings more distractions in, uh, from real life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Annoying uh, people. <laughs> all those, uh, yeah. yeah. We can start doing all our meetings in uh, in the metaverse, uh, in meta rooms, and uh, not be distracted by all these real persons. It's uh, yeah. all this annoying gibberish. People. Annoying people. <laughs> so yeah, that's happening nowadays, and yeah, um, yeah. Uh, linking all the tech items together. Wow, it's uh, it's a first. Yeah. Just out of interest, who yeah. has a VR glass here? I, do I don't. Yet. But I was no. Not yet, unfortunately. Sergey maybe wants to sponsor one for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel already bought one, eh? I have one, yeah. And Which one Tom do you have? Well, right? Do you have the uh, Oculus Two? Oculus Two, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. I'm thinking about the, the Oculus Two. Oh, the Quest. The Quest. Yeah, the Oculus Drift. Hmm. Yeah, I'm also thinking about the Quest 2. It's an interesting one. I've uh, I've been playing around with it with uh, uh, with some friends who have it, and that's uh, yeah, really cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Like, yeah the I... only annoying thing was actually that I had to create a new Facebook account for it because yeah. uh, <laughs> that was needed for it. I just yeah. I just dumped my Facebook account. Then I bought a Quest 2, and then I needed to create a new one. Yeah. I was like, ah oh, man. <laughs> Couldn't you log in with uh, with something? No, no. no. They, no? I, I believe no. they changed that now. So now you can also yeah. um, also uh, log in without Facebook. So I can yeah. delete my Facebook again. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. So you can log in with Google or Apple or yeah. any other service. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, even the, the Oculus 2 is really great, at least as, as I just experienced it a little bit. Um, uh, and oh. even my kids, they uh, were playing around with it and they were drawing in 3D in the room. And uh, it's really easy to set a perimeter. So you cannot, uh, so you yeah. do not walk directly. Uh, we, we, had, <laughs> we had one around uh, during Christmas that, <laughs> that no one walked into the Christmas tree. So that, that was really easy, uh, easy to do so. So um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm curious uh, about exploring the Oculus uh, Quest 2 even, uh, even further, so. Yeah. My only concern, or because I have a few friends that have it, I get motion sickness really quick. Ooh. So I max out at fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that That's is. It. Yeah, yeah. It, but I heard that the, the Quest Two is better at it because it's it's more. It has better screens and it's it should be better at at. Uh, if, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. it smaller. Yeah. So it's, it's less obtrusive on your face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of issues with it. Uh, I did with the other Oculus uh, glasses. I don't know how it's called. The first one. The drift. The dr yeah. 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 The that was yeah the but with this one, I don't have it. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Good. Yeah. Good. 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 Um, well, all tech uh, items aside, uh, uh, we go from virtual reality environments uh, in the metaverse uh, and all this distraction from real people to to real real AI, if that's uh, <laughs> if you can call it that. Um, uh, and we wanted to take a little uh, look into yeah what's coming towards us with respect to artificial intelligence and what's happening around us. And who better to uh, tell us a little bit about that than Deepa? So. Uh, 
yeah, what, what is going on at the moment? What, is the, what are the hot topics for now and in the near future? Funnily enough, Metaverse is one of them. Okay, okay. <laughs> but we'll get to it. <laughs> Great, I'm really um, curious now. Yeah, so so I was asked to write this blog about uh, what topics and trends that I see are going to be relevant in 2022 and beyond. Um, and the first one that comes to mind for me, which is very natural, was everything around responsible AI. So responsible AI has the whole bucket of explainable AI, transparent, ethical AI. Um, so what we're seeing now is that there's been a lot of uh, conversations about how do we make AI more transparent so that adoption gets, uh, people are easier or feel more comfortable adopting it. And now we are seeing there's just so much adoption happening with AI, um, AI related services and products. Um, but at the same time, we also need to increase the explainability and the trust with AI. And what we are seeing now is more practical applications of that. So earlier it was a lot of just talking about it and now there's more practical implications. And one of that, even within our teams, um, it's one of our guiding principles that every AI project that we do, that we have at least an explainable layer and for that, we have created the quality AI framework, which Rick, I know you know about. Um, and we're also creating a lot of practical tools um, that go along with this quality AI framework uh, that you can just plug into your models and get an explainable layer to get some more understanding that it is easier to explain to stakeholders. So, Responsible AI it becomes more practical. Uh, the other prediction or trend is around hyperscalers. And this is where my friend Daniel comes into play because <laughs> we have multiple conversations around the same topic. Mm. Uh, so we see guys like Microsoft, uh, IBM, the Googles, the really big hyperscalers moving into democratized AI more and more. So it's all about creating low-code uh, AI solutions uh, for clients. And we're going to be seeing a lot more of um, these products coming into market uh, or people that have created AI solutions with low-code, pushing them into production. Um, so the joke between me and Daniel is always that Daniel's taking over my job. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Um, yeah, I know, I know that Daniel um, actually is, is, is busy with a couple of, or was busy working with a couple of tools, right? What was it again? We were also yes. setting something Lobe. up, Daniel. Uh, yeah, what? we were working with Lobe. Lobe, Lobe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not really working on an M1 MacBook at the moment still, but... But still, yeah, a really cool environment to do some low-code AI mm -hmm. development in uh, in these kind of yeah. tools, right? Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, a lot, lot happening. But, yeah, but what what then is the challenge, or so you uh, or if you want the problem with these low-code AI things? Because one of the things I can see is that uh, it used to be experienced AI professionals making AI systems, and now you got people who maybe hardly know what they're doing. So people yeah. like Daniel, for example. <laughs> yeah, especially, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Daniel, no offense. <laughs> I don't know well, I mean, about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it's exactly that. Uh, and, and my biggest concern as an AI practitioner is that uh, we are making it so much easier and so much uh, accessible to people to create their own AI solutions that they might not always understand what are the downfalls, the pitfalls that they should be worried about. Um, and so, the, the, again, it goes back to my first point, the need for a responsible AI and to make that more hands-on and practical and to ma- and create more awareness about it is, is really, really going to be important. Um, but on the other hand, you also see uh, the same hyperscalers that are making it so easy are also including a layer of, of uh, explainable AI so that they are trying to um, not only make it easy for people to create these AI solutions, but they're also trying to make it more transparent. So at least they, they're trying to balance it. But um, thankfully, I'll still have a job because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can um, imagine. I can imagine. Hopefully. Yeah, I, I can also imagine that, that these uh, hyperscalers are also have a kind of a responsibility towards that, right? So yes, explainable absolutely. AI is one thing, but if you deliver a, a low uh, threshold for accessibility of implementing AI solutions, well, like the Lobe system, but there are multiple other examples I can uh, I can imagine, that there's also lies a kind of responsibility to the, the vendors or the open source communities to deliver such a uh, explainability uh, to the solution that they deliver. Yeah, yeah. So and I is, think is that they're the case? building is, it. Are they doing it or is it is it too little at the moment? No, they are doing it. Uh, like I said, it's becoming more practical. So like if you, and I'm, picking on Microsoft here because Daniel is here. Uh, but like before they, they used to just have one paragraph about, oh, hey, by the way, you know, mm. be careful with AI because you should also uh, make sure it's responsible and ethical and not biased. And then you just have to check like a little box to say, yes, I've read this. Oh, uh, yeah. And then that was it. But now there's, there's more practical implementation of that. So when you're creating these models, um, they're also uh, an explainable layer to, to say, hey, this could be a biased data set because um, if you look at the, the distributions of all the variables in your data set, you know, there's these things that you should maybe look into a little bit more and start questioning it. So they are prodding and, and making it more apparent to, to practitioners. So hopefully that is, you know, that's just one side of the coin. The other side is the people that are building this to be for them to be more aware of everything. So it's a, it's a two way street. That's a good thing, right? Because indeed yeah. then it becomes more practical because only clicking on a button saying, okay, I've read the small letters and eh? we, we do it in, in every application or cookie list or whatever it is yeah. that you see coming by. But actually pointing in, in, in the application to, like you mentioned, the data set not being uh, uh, sufficient to do what you want to do. Okay, then, yeah. then it becomes practical where, well, some, some gaps lie or where you need to get some more knowledge about the algorithm or the data set that you're using uh, in order to deliver or to build a good application that, well, the ones that you wanted to uh, build. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's happening yeah. indeed. Okay. Yeah, yeah it is happening. What I also wonder is, do they make use of partial pre-trained models in these setups? Yeah. So, so then they can already make sure that the pre-trained model is not biased or whatever. Yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, so so a lot of these uh, um, solutions, which are low-code, are based on pre-trained models. Um, and, of course, not a lot of people on this, on the production side, have privy to how those models were trained. But if they're using uh, the open source models, there's still some level of trans- transfer transparency in, in the whole process and the data set. Uh, but yes, uh, you're absolutely right. So if they can control that and they can at least put their stamp of approval to say these pre-trained models are bias-free uh, and this is the data set, then it makes the conversation a lot more easier. Is it? Yeah, is it I, the, oh, yeah, Daniel, go ahead. Yeah, what, what I always see is like there's, there's multiple types of low-code AI modeling. It's like the um, off-the-shelf stuff. So that's a model that you can just enable and that's it. And that's totally built by uh, some kind of company, in, in this case, Microsoft, but there are tons of others as well. Then you have the like 50-50 trained models. So it's yeah. already trained a little and you can uh, change some things around. Yeah, you can fine tune it. And there's the other part where you can build it from, from scratch. Mm. And that's probably the one that needs the most <laughs> uh, responsible AI, um, at least training to the person that's that's modeling it. Because before, yeah, the Microsoft side of things or the the, the bigger companies that train those models, um, I see at least a lot of movement into into that uh, responsible AI as well. Because uh, just last week, I was doing a, a, a training on the AI stuff in the Microsoft world. And they actually had a whole uh, series about responsible AI as well. Yeah. Uh, so when you were trying those low-code st- uh, low-code things for AI, then uh, you had to go through those modules of responsible AI before you um, got a stamp of approval that you're good at that uh, product, for instance. Okay. Mm. Okay. Okay. So it's interesting to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was wondering about uh, pre-trained models. Where, and now you mentioned it, Deepa. That um, in, is there something like uh, a repository for pre-trained models or L- yeah, pre-trained models like like we have with data sets. Eh? We have Kaggle, for example, or uh, in these kind of open source environments where a lot is available. Or even if you look at 3D printing, you have Thingiverse, which is full of th- open source 3D yeah. printed designs. Do we also have something like that in the world of uh, pre-trained algorithms? Oh yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, because because training these a lot of these models is so computationally expensive, um, a lot of the the start starting point for a lot of uh, AI projects is using a pre-trained model. So ImageNet is one of the biggest ones that um, is everything to do with training and um, and image recognition or object detection algorithms. Um, th- there's multiple of them mm. out there. Cool. But again, um, not every every model is as transparent with the data set that they use. And also you have to keep in mind what is the use case for what you are using this pre-trained model. So, I mean, if you're building an image recognition or facial recognition and it's been trained on ImageNet, that's mostly been trained on, let's say, Western faces. Ah, yeah, yeah, they could yeah. be a bit biased in that sense. Um, but there's also a lot of uh, uh, pre-trained models coming out of China. And of course, that is also going to be more biased to yeah. that region. So yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to keep all of this in, in mind. And uh, that's, yeah, 
that's where the awareness comes into play. Okay, so so we, if we want to go for safe choices, we should revert back to uh, cat and dog recognition instead of facial <laughs> yeah. recognition, right? Absolutely, keep <laughs> yeah. safe, keep small, keep simple. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so. It's it's interesting how the responsible AI always comes into the conversation, but it's because it's such an important topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then looking forward, uh, the the next trend that we are also seeing, also with our own clients, is that a lot of um, AI teams are now ready to scale up, and so ML ops is going to become quite important to a lot of uh, our clients. So what we've seen historically is that uh, every client has either a small data science or AI team, and they're, they're working on multiple POCs, proof of concepts, and some of them are successful. Um, but now comes the time where you actually have to scale it up, put it into production. And that's where we see a lot of um, a lot of these ventures failing, and that's what we call the AI death valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way we can maturely, efficiently, and sustainably scale up these proof of concepts is by having frameworks like ML Ops in play, which is essentially a set of best practices. So you can think of it as DevOps, uh, but for AI, so it's ML Ops, um, and it combines the same uh, principles like. DevOps, CI/CD pipelines to our AI model development cycles, but with a data-centric focus because data is always the beginning and end of uh, every AI project. Uh, treating your data as an asset and really looking at data from being able to know exactly where it comes from, how you're sourcing the data, how you're treating the data, how is it being processed to the end, and having that auditability built in. That's basically what DevOps, uh, DevOps, the MLOps is all about. Um, and that's that's where a lot of uh, AI teams are struggling with in, in their uh, road to maturing and pushing more solutions and production. That's a really interesting one because I can imagine, indeed, you're, you're actually talking about uh, in, in in terms of if you t- look at product design and product development, it's about industrialization of your solution, right? So you can have a kind of uh, a great uh, uh, proof of concept or or idea that you've built on your laptop, uh, a developer yeah. created as a kind of a hobby project, maybe even, and it yeah. works nicely. But scaling it up and putting it in an as an industrialized version, the robustness, the uh, uh, indeed the the use multiple uh, uh, concurrent uses, etc., uh, etc., et comes into play, and then all of a sudden you are in a whole different ballpark. I can imagine with mm-hmm. yeah. and, and and do you also need to redevelop your your uh, machine learning uh, uh, yeah. idea, or is it is it building further upon the, the stuff that you already have? So it's it's a lot of, um, uh, I think, and this is where a lot of people don't actually think for the future because maintainability and retraining yeah. of AI models is so important because mm-hmm. you have things like uh, concept drift and model drift, um, where essentially your underlying data, the distribution of that data completely changes. Yeah. Um, so COVID was the best uh, example, the most recent example. Suddenly, people's buying patterns changed. There, oh, yeah. everyone's working from home. So those algorithms that were working previously to recommend certain products to you mm-hmm. suddenly changed because now, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my Amazon is filled with, hey, this is a nice chair, and this <laughs> this ergonomic 
ergonomic <laughs> stand for your for your laptop. You know, it's it's just crazy. Um, but that's that's uh, things like that happen in real life. People change, behavioral patterns change, and so that um, maintainability and retraining is is super important for AI models. Yeah. Um, and so there's a huge element of that involved as well. Isn't also then, yeah? Isn't also a, a matter of time involved because I can imagine that that you still have a, a well-trained model, right? so that that's there. In, in in your specific example of of the the well, you're buying uh, in, uh, interests uh, on Amazon, uh, yeah. it's it's a well-trained <laughs> model. It it knows what you were buying, and then it needs some time to adjust. And over time, in, into the the changed pattern that you uh, uh, that you went through, so the the model is a little bit behind. It, you cannot expect the model to be on par at this at at the exact moment, right? Yeah, I think uh, that's where uh, it, it again depends on what kind of uh, model you are training. But the mm. retraining can happen in batches, so you can okay. have um, models retraining overnight um, okay. in smaller pieces, um, or you can have model retraining at six months time. Um, and really, is is for the use case at hand and what makes sense and. Yeah. Obviously, there's a big computational cost, but these are processes that are built in within MLOps. So all of this should be happening in an automated fashion. Um, so if you're using a really good MLOps um, platform, let's take Azure, for example, um, they've got all of these uh, maintainability things built in. Um, you've got uh, a view on, on your data, and if the data changes, because every time um, we get new data in or uh, a new prediction is made, there's analysis run on that data to say, okay, this is in line with the data that the model's already seen, or it'll start flagging after some time when the threshold is reached to say, mm, actually, this underlying data is starting to change a little bit, so maybe um, we need to think about retraining these models. So. Having a really good platform and framework in place will will kind of you know, put the red flags up uh, in good time. And uh, yeah, so so that's really, uh, really important for for having more mature AI solutions uh, in yeah. production. Well, I can think that um, the, the ML ops part is also really important to have like a centralized group of people um, that know a lot about the whole uh, machine learning AI uh, kind of things. Because we were just talking also about low code uh, and AI. So if they are going to use AI, you're going to have like a decentralized um, yeah, thing happening with, uh, with all those uh, low code uh, scenarios as well. And it's really good to also train those people in all those MLOps, best practices, yeah. et cetera, those kinds of things. Yeah. So you'll almost get like a center of excellence kind of uh, scenario there. Mm -hmm. Yeah very specialized function yeah. overseeing all of the AI development, but the actual development can be outsourced to smaller business teams that can do it mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's That's essentially my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was also thinking about actually what you're describing, uh, uh, Deepa, that it, it, it steers a little bit away even of the AI algorithms themselves. Eh? You, you talked about the data and about changes of data, etc. But Rick, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is actually a test process. Eh? The, the, the algorithm, the, the built algorithm and the model and everything that was trained 
is executed and the result uh, of what a customer is doing, for example, if we, if we take again the example of the customer buying stuff on Amazon, uh, it's compared to the to the algorithm, uh, uh, to the outcome of it, and, and to see whether the expected outcome fits the actual outcome. That's it. It's what yeah. we do within testing, right? It's the, the basics of it, actually. So it's actually maintaining the quality of your AI solution, so to say. Is, is that a little bit, bit of a, of a uh, summary and, and of what, what is, what's going on? But this also sounds like testing in production uh, yeah, because yeah. the whole stuff is already live, but you need to upgrade the quality all the time. And that's where we see that the, uh, it becomes more vague whether it is about testing or whether it's just about quality, quality engineering, quality assurance. Um, but the, and, and therefore, I like the idea of MLOps because you actually integrate all of this in a, uh, well, mostly automated process to keep the quality uh, yeah, up, to, up to date. Yeah, to a certain yeah. level. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is good because as AI is maturing, it's, it's becoming more and more um, of a general purpose technology. So it needs to, uh, yeah, it needs to formalize itself a little bit more. So that's where MLOps comes in. Great. And then uh, finally, my yes. last prediction for the trend is the metaverse and how ah. AI is uh, accelerating the collaboration, but also the creativity. So um, back in 2018, 2016, with the introduction of GANs, we saw how that kind of almost revolutionized uh, how we thought about AI in creativity creativity, um, especially in artworks. And uh, since then, there have been multiple uh, types of GANs that have created. Maybe, uh, Deepa, you can yeah. explain a little bit what a GAN yeah. is, because I think the four of us know it, but most of the audience yeah. probably doesn't. We, we did a podcast yeah. on it, eh? On the... We did, yeah. yeah, that was yeah. The, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So, so people well, can let, refer to the podcast to, uh, to get the full... Let's put a link to that podcast in the show notes then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but for the people yes. for now... Uh... <laughs> yeah, a refresher. Uh, so GAN is a generative adversarial network and essentially it is a generative model is what we call it, which means it generates... Um, an output like um, an image or an audio or even just tabular data. Uh, and we typically use it uh, in our world, we typically use it to generate synthetic data. So something that looks like the original output, but it's, it's not actually that. So um, it's two, two neural networks that kind of fight with each other to fool each other into thinking that it is creating the uh, the most realistic output and the second neural network looks at it and says, yeah, this looks like it's the real thing or no, it's not the real thing. So in the end, we are left with, uh, with images that look really close to um, the input. Uh, and, and so when, when the GANs uh, were introduced and that came about, it was uh, really revolutionary. Um, and it sparked a lot of creativity and we've been since then using it um, to create all sorts of things. And deep fakes is unfortunately one of the negative uh, <laughs> things uh, that have come out from GANs. Uh, but it is also a positive around that, uh, but that's another topic. Uh, but when we look at the metaverse uh, and the it, Metaverse is right in its infancy stage. Uh, of course, there's 
little uh, development of the metaverse is happening in different companies. So Facebook now announcing that it's going to be meta with its Facebook horizon meeting rooms where essentially uh, you can meet in virtual spaces. Microsoft is doing the same thing with Mesh. Um, and even before these guys were in the picture, we had Fortnite, um, people playing Fortnite in these virtual spaces. Uh, they Ariana Grande had a yeah. concert on Fortnite. Concerts. I mean, yeah, so, so those are all examples of the metaverse. But what truly will make it a metaverse is the connection of these different virtual spaces until eventually is one massive world that you can explore in mm -hmm. and all of this creativity and collaboration collaboration between these different worlds but also within a particular virtual space is going to be largely driven by ai models running in the background mm. so i think um uh, microsoft did a really good job at the ignite conference when they introduced mesh uh and it was almost like okay imagine that you're in this this virtual this meeting room is all virtual and we have digital avatars of ourselves um, and I can speak in English and you guys can speak to me directly in Dutch mm. and there'll be an AI model in the background running a translation so everything's happening in real time and then whatever we talk about like when we are referencing uh, the earlier podcast there will be another model searching through all of our documents and be like is this the file that you were yeah, looking for yeah, yeah. And we can like we can interact with that file in real time, obviously in the virtual space mm -hmm. and play it. So it's just so many different things happening in this wonderful virtual space and world. And it's not just going to be virtual, it's going to be AR as well. So it's just everything immersive. And cool. all of that will be really accelerated with with multiple AI models. So, so um, then we actually can. So we actually can then incorporate the the doorbell ringing uh, and and yeah. uh, having the mailman <laughs> in this conversation all of a sudden and uh, etc etc. Et yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the true metaverse is when uh, all of these uh, different different points are connected. And of course, then then oh, everything yeah. will be driven by the blockchain and cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> That's another topic by yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and where we have everything is tagged with NFTs, yeah, so we can uh, sell everything we want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then whatever you buy in one space will be accessible in your Fortnite account or. Oh yeah, yeah. So in if I, yeah, you, yeah, if you buy new shoes, you can have your real shoes on outside, but also wear them in in uh, the the Fortnite game you're playing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. 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 Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. To to me, it sounds like a bright future. I can imagine that people uh, uh, will find this uh, uh, a little bit of a daunting future, or maybe even <laughs> have a quite a pessimistic so look on this. Uh, uh, that that nothing will be real anymore. Uh, but yeah, I think the. The end conclusion lies in in the in the mix of everything, right? Mixing it up in the mixed reality, and uh, where we hopefully uh, uh, spend just as much time in the real world as we are going to spend in in the virtual world, or at least <laughs> a 50-50 division would be uh, would be uh, 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 a good division uh, in the future. Um, yeah, nice lookout to uh, what kind what what AI yeah. will bring us in in the near and and the further future uh, around us. 
So, yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm also <laughs> excited now. I'm, I'm even more now uh, excited to buy <laughs> this uh, uh, virtual nice. reality glasses, in, integrated <laughs> into my home automated system, and then uh, record a podcast the next time uh, with my uh, VR glasses on, uh, instead of looking at the screen <laughs> at the moment. So who knows yeah. uh, how quick that can go, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Very quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. Okay, good. Well, um, thank you, Deepa, for your uh, look out into the future. You look into the future on uh, on AI. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for Happy that. To be here. Thank you for having me again. Great. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. It was a well, pleasure. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah. Well, uh, that leaves me with thanking our audience. Thank you, listeners, uh, for this podcast. And uh, yeah, we will be back with a next one in the near future uh, so keep a lookout on uh, and, and subscribe to our podcast series uh, technology labs in your favorite podcasting app that's it for now and see you in the next podcast yeah bye 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 <laughs> okay good